0: B-O-F-Y 2023, the pointy end. There's all sorts of terms you could use for this time of the year. Um, arguably, certainly the busiest time of the year for any bookkeeper or small business owner. The month of June and months of June and July. My name's Rob Marshall. Welcome to the ICB News Channel. This is a a podcast all about bookkeepers helping bookkeepers helping business and I'm going to argue that uh, the king of bookkeepers helping bookkeepers helping business is Mr. Matthew Addison. Hello, Mr. Addison. Welcome, Rob, and thank you. Thank you for uh, that uh,
1: over-the-top introduction. I- I'm not sure I'd go that far, but, uh, yeah, thank you and good to be here.
0: Hey, we're trying to lift the ratings on this show, so if we, we, we need a king, we, you know, we're just talking about John Laws uh, offline, you know, so somebody's got to replace some of the great men of, um, of radio and uh, podcasting. We don't really talk much about radio these days. Podcasting's the way to go, so great to have you joining us again. ICB executive director and deputy chair of the ICB board, just uh, calling it out. So let's talk lots of things bookkeeping, because this is, as I've just said, probably one of the pointy moments for all bookkeepers, of course, calling out. When we talk bookkeepers, we're not just talking our uh, BAS agent community. Of course, we are talking the BAS agent community, but we're also talking bookkeepers in practice, bookkeepers in employment, and if you're a mum and dad owning a business right now and you're doing the books of a nighttime, you are a very highly valued bookkeeper. We love your work. Um, let's uh, talk about an event that happened a few weeks ago. One of the things that we do tend to do at the ICB is take information, we, we um, consider it, uh, hopefully with wisdom, and then we we give opinion, and um, nobody's done that better than you, Matthew, with our latest newsletter, um, the May edition of the ICB newsletter. When we talk all things budget, the budget was a month ago now, back in May, um, and we've called out some really key budget highlights, so I want to go through those with you. And I guess the thing that um, hopefully we're able to do Maybe better than some others, and that is put it into bookkeeping speak and allow us to allow the listeners to hear it in a way that they go, Yeah, okay, I get that now. Um, The instant asset write off extension, a big ticket item for many, many small businesses over the last few years. Where has that landed in the latest budget? (laughs)
1: Yeah, thanks, Rob. Uh, the world of writing off assets, the world of depreciation or what's in current language, capital allowance, um, you buy an asset, what do you have to do with it? Do you capitalise it? Do you uh, write it off straight away? During the pandemic period, we had temporary full expensing brought in which sat over in atop of what was the instant asset write-off at very high levels. So, you know, any business below $10 million turnover uh, was able to write off assets uh, um, immediately. 30 June this year, all of that came to an end, except for the budget announcement. So, in the budget, to the benefit of small business, there's a continuation of the instant asset write-off. Uh, small business with a turnover less than $10 million, purchasing eligible assets of up to $20,000, as long as they're ready for use before before 30 June 2024, you can write it off straight away. Um, So, Rob, there's a bit of uh, management here and a bit of nows here because you've also got the small business asset pool. So, if you've uh, bought assets Uh, typically you won't have a pool at the moment because you temporary full expensed it or you wrote them off last year. But um, if you've got an asset pool and its value drops below that $20,000 limit, you can write off the balance as well. So, some good uh, tax incentives, some cash flow incentives, giving us a tax benefit closer to the time we purchase the asset. So, good to see it's in the budget. But I want to call out, Rob, none of the budget is law yet. So just really calling out this was a budget, which is the government's announcements in May of legislation they need to get through before the end of the year or before these particular measures come into being. And we're going to talk about one of those that uh, remains in limbo in a moment, Rob.
0: We will. We will indeed. So on the assumption that it may or will become law, just to explain the pedantics of the 20K or the 20,000 limit. So let's just run with a farmer buys a tractor for 80K after that cut-off point. Can you write off 20K of it and the other 60 goes into the pool or is it, no, it's all under 20K?
1: If the asset is valued more than or costs you more than the $20,000, you put it on the depreciation schedule, you write it off over its... Um, allowable life, which typically is about five years for most of this stuff. Um, but every asset below 20, and you can do it multiple times, so it's not a pool, not a, a combined purchase, it's $20,000 per asset.
0: Great, great, great clarity on that one, just um, so we know. Um, as you've called out, though, nobody needs to panic for this current financial year. That's not law as of the moment, um, but certainly we'd recommend that you get inside the ICB newsletter if you haven't got already downloaded, and we do have a version for non-members who are tuning in, Um, go to our website, www.icb.org.au, and you can uh, read all about the instant asset write-off extension within our newsletter. The other, um, well, there was quite a few key highlights that we've called out. The other one that really caught my attention, obviously, having had my head inside uh, for a while now, as I think all of us have, the ongoing, uh, let's say, journey of cyber um, is the Cyber Warden's program. Now, the the government has recognised the need for people to have some way of being able to mitigate what's going, the the craziness that's unfolding around us. Can you explain to us, Matthew, what is the Cyber Warden's program and what was the impact? from a budget point of view, on that particular program?
1: Yeah, thanks, Rob. Look, this government has been on quite a investigation and now a development of a a pretty much nationwide cyber security strategy. And they were appointed a national coordinator and that was really in last budget and that was facilitated last budget and we're seeing that come to the fore. What they announced in this budget was support of a program known as Cyber Wardens. So Institute of Certified Bookkeepers is a member of the Council of Small Business Organisations, COSBOA. And COSBOA has been on this journey with a couple of corporate partners for about two years. So Combank and Telstra have been on board with COSBOA, developing it up in pilot. And what Cyber Wardens is about is small business designing a cybersecurity framework, cybersecurity explanation, cybersecurity steps in small business language to help small business step-by-step improve their cybersecurity profile. The cyber warden, Rob, is like a first aid officer. If you think of the first aid officer that you know, bigger businesses have in place, they have one on staff, or you've got the first aid cabinet sitting on the wall, or you've got somebody you tap into, the cyber warden is like that. Who is the person in in business that we go to when we think, Hmm, something's wrong with my cybersecurity? Um, this person does the cyber warden accreditation. They have a bit more knowledge. But the other part of the program is incrementally taking small business on a journey one step at a time, changing their behaviour. Government backed it. Um, They've seen the the measure and they've uh, allocated a three-year allocation um, to make this happen
0: and make it happen on a national scale. So what advice have you got, especially if you're a business owner tuning in right now, to be able to tap into the Cyber Wardens program? How do do they go about that? uh, Obviously, we've got some information on our website about it, but um, is there other places that uh, they can visit to get more information?
1: Uh, Cyberwardens.com.au. Uh, go to the website, uh, express your interest to be involved. It's in pilot phase two, which is going to uh, the, the supporting members of uh, the Cosboa network, going out to them and um, seeking participants in the first couple of stages. But there's some really good information um, available on that website. Their first email that came out that gave you know, some very simple steps to improve your improve your cybersecurity.
0: One of the um, the other things that really caught my attention <clears throat> with the budget. Talking of a first aid kit, I think I might need one for my uh, my my little tickle in my tickle in my throat at the moment, but. Um, or a glass of water might do the trick, but um, the industry growth program, and I'm going to read this, as part of the 2023-24 May budget, the Australian government announced a new $392.4 million industry growth program for small and medium-sized enterprises and startups. So, in a world where we're looking for innovation right now, um, and I think that that amount is spread across four years, if I've got that right. Um, in a world that's, you know, looking or in a country that's got so many talented people, um, the ability to be able to tap into some funding, I guess you could say, and it also goes on to say that it will play a, a role in helping find other funding if you have a startup. up um, I'll call out the priority areas, which are renewables and low-emission technologies, medical science, transport, value adds in agriculture, forestry and fishery sectors, value adds in resources, defence capability and um, a few other things here as well, which I won't get too deep into until you explain a little bit more about why has the government put a, a real lens on this, Matthew?
1: Uh, Rob, this is a evaluation by the government of some existing funding that was in place. So there were some existing programs under the entrepreneurial label. Yes. And that uh, that funding has been redirected uh, with the Department of Industry going, we want to do this a different way. Um, and I'm not personally opposed to that re-evaluation and that refocusing. The devil is in the detail on this one. So, this isn't an announcement. It's a redirection of funds and we need to see how it plays out as the um, Industry Growth Fund will be run far more from within the department, uh, whereas the entrepreneurial program was very much allocated out to
0: third parties. The small business energy assistance. This is uh, possibly a little bit more tangible, you might say. <clears throat> this um, relates to assistance to one million, small to medium sized businesses of up to $650 towards energy bills. Now we all know where energy's going at the moment here in Australia. It is definitely a, a topic that um, you hear on, in every street corner and every uh, bar that you go into at the moment, the cost, the rising cost of energy. Um, but it also goes a bit further around uh, some tax deductibilities as well that will come into play. Do you want to explain a little bit about what is the small business energy assistance as part of the budget that's been released?
1: So that first one you talk to, Rob, is a program that is in conjunction with the states. So it will actually be a, um, a credit off your bill, It'll actually come off the bill before it comes to you as individual. Now, they talked about 650, but that's 50% federal and 50% state. So, it actually depends on what your state government is doing. And what I'm hearing is different states are having different reactions to it. So, um, in my own state of Victoria, there's a rumour that you'll only get the federal component. Um, in other states, we're actually hearing it's going to be more than $650. I've heard $900 in one of the other states. But they're not giving it um, to you as a check into your bank account or a debit into your bank account. It will come off your energy bill before you receive it. So you'll see the credits come through on your bill.
0: I'll jump in if I can at this point. What? How do they determine what is a small to medium-sized enterprise? Is there any guidelines around that?
1: Uh, the... Preliminary information is it will be based on how much energy a business consumes. High energy users won't get this credit. Um, It's the million smallest businesses in Australia. And again, it's state government dependent, so we're yet to see how exactly this will roll out.
0: And when you're... um, It mentions energy efficient equipment tax boost of 120% tax deductibility. Um, And I note that uh, we have... Put in our newsletter that that's a good start, but uh, more more is needed. Do you want to explain a little bit about that?
1: You may remember Rob, last uh, budget two boosts were announced. Uh, there was the training and skills twenty uh, percent boost, yes. and then there was the digital implementation boost. Neither of which are law yet and one of them runs out in 24 days' time. So um, that digital implementation boost, 20% extra tax deduction. So what the concept is here is you spend uh, $1,000 and you'll get a tax deduction of 1200 uh-huh. So again, what it was trying to do is give you a bit of a cash incentive through the tax system to spend on these good initiatives, good areas that the government wants you to spend on, and they'd give you some extra tax back. So you have to be profitable. You've got to be paying tax. It's an extra tax deduction. Um, Noting those other two boosts aren't law yet, this one is about energy. So, uh, we'll get a list of the sorts of equipment, like electrifying your heating and cooling systems, like upgrading to more efficient fridges and induction cooktops, that sort of thing. Uh, if you spend that in your business, costs you ten grand, you will get a $12,000 tax
0: deduction if it becomes law, Rob. Yeah, okay. Still with an if thrown in there. Watch this space. There was also mention, and this one definitely caught my attention, cash flow assistance through reducing the GDP uplift on PAYGI and GST installments. So let me give my uh, suggestion on that. That is to assist the fact that there may have already been some accountability for profitability in previous years that now we can get some assistance because we may not have that profitability thanks to the increase of costs around us this year. Is that, is that how I'm reading that? Uh, or have we got some other way of looking at it through different eyes? Because I can see your eyes right now and they're not exactly the same eyes as mine.
1: I, I think you're spot on, Rob. What government did is they looked at the rate of inflation and said, based on law, those two instalment methods would go up by 12%. And they said that that Mm -hmm. was too harsh on taxpayers. So they brought in the announcement and the law will um, halve that rate so that your installments only increase by 6% for the next financial year. Now, all our uh, listeners should be aware that if 6% is still too high or even last year's installments are still too high for the next year, you can always vary them.
0: Yeah. With good consultation with your tax uh, accountant, of course, or your tax professional, um, would be a strong suggestion from the ICB. Let's move on to a couple of things that have been mentioned um, that, not mentioned, but certainly are out there in the general public right now and are causing a lot of angst. Let's tackle the big one, the Payday Super Announcement. Now, we know that that's still a time off yet. Do you want to just explain first, Just we get lots of people who go, I hear these terms and I hear that there's angst, but I don't even actually really understand what it's about. Do you want to just give a, a 101 on what is the payday super um, proposal and then how that's going to play out? It's,
1: uh most my our listeners will be aware, under the Super Guarantee Act and the Super Guarantee Charge Act, uh, we have to pay our super for workers at least once a quarter. Some of us are paying them monthly, Um, some of our awards require us to pay monthly. But what this concept is, is to bring forward that super payment. So, Rob, if I was paying you on a weekly basis, I would also have to contribute to your super fund on a weekly basis. Each time I made a payment to you, I've got to pay that now becoming 11% super guarantee to your super fund each and every time I pay you. So it's bringing it forward to payday. Uh, What you saw in the announcement was the government, fortunately, have listened to some voices, including our own at ICB, to say, this isn't a quick switch. This isn't an instant reaction of, oh, just flick the switch because it's easy. You just push the button in your software now and all your super just goes through and it's all perfect. And as we know, Rob, um, a super fund decides to change its USI and all of a sudden it bounces back. <laughs> yeah. Or literally while we've been on this podcast recording it, Rob, I've got another message with somebody else getting a bounce back from the clearinghouse of their super and going, does that mean I've got super guarantee charge or not? So there's a lot yeah. of errors and omissions. There's a lot of rejections that have to be managed. If we were doing it each and every payday straight away, I think we're set up for a mess. So they've allowed a three-year period to plan this, to transition to it. And on behalf of small business, I've got to say it's also three years to be very much aware your cash flow is going to be adjusted. What do we do in small business? We know our soup is going to be paid once a quarter. We plan for it. We pay our other suppliers. We've got our wages and our rent and such things going through. We pay our other suppliers, but we build in the cash for the super on the the 28th following the end of each quarter. Uh, Over the next three years, we've got to bring that cash flow requirement forward and get into the habit of paying it on payday. Uh, One of my thoughts, Rob, that uh, I will be presenting to government a little bit uh, louder and a little bit more often is, look, in the small business sector, I reckon monthly is enough. Yeah. I don't think we need to go to payday. And I also think you've got to allow a corrections framework. So even though you're expecting a payment each month, allow us to check it and fix it every quarter without penalty.
0: I think one of the things that's becoming clear with nearly everything that we've covered off on in the budget, <laughs> we will talk a couple of other things in a moment, but the angst that sometimes comes from announcements that businesses feel, there's still time in a lot of these cases for commentary. So the payday super being one of them, professional associations such as ours, we're still in there batting. To It's not a fait accompli comply that things will roll out like some commentators have already preordained them to be. Um, so... <clears throat> If you're, you are angstful about this stuff, you know, especially if you're a member of the ICB, know that you can, your voice is heard still through us and um, we're really keen to make sure that we keep, you know, batting away and uh, certainly we know how hard you do that for on behalf of the Institute uh, of Certified Bookkeepers, Matthew. Um, to some more mundane stuff um, from the budget, so, well, not mundane because it's a question that's it's obviously addressed and asked by business owners and bookkeepers every year. Ch- any changes to tax tables or PAYGW? Uh, I think if I'm reading it right, there are minimal for this year or none for this year. Everything is relating to 1st of July 2024, um, most of the softwares, as we know, are across that really well and will ensure that the software that you use will, will have updated tables if there are any changes. Um, <clears throat> was there anything in relating to that that we need to cover off on, Matthew?
1: No, Rob, you're right. The Medicare levy thresholds are due to change. Yep. So that will, will uh, change some of our POIGW tax tables. Fortunately, nowadays for most of us, our software just updates automatically. So what you need to be aware of is some of those rates will change, even if it's a dollar here and two dollars there because the uh, Medicare threshold has changed. If you do your payroll straight from the bank account, not integrated with the software, you need to change your um, payment amounts coming out of the bank. Um, So, Rob, yeah, minimal changes. The other one that's all talked about was pre-budget, post-budget, and we'll do it all again next year, pre-budget and post-budget, is the tax cuts that are scheduled for 30 June 2024. Uh, Will they happen or won't they happen? They currently are in law, and I don't see this government repealing it, but you know, next budget is uh, a long way away and who knows where politics will be at that point in time.
0: Exactly, exactly. I want to move into the the back end of our show today and talk um, about what I called it out right at the start and that is it is end of financial year. Um, But before we do, is there any other key... we've, We've got lots of stuff and commentary around the budget for you to go and read in the in the main newsletter. Or was there any other points that may maybe I've over overlooked, Matthew, that we need to tackle before we talk all things end of financial year?
1: Uh, no, the, the three things that are going through my brain, Rob, are all in relation to end of financial year. You alluded to it earlier. The first one is just don't overstress. Don't overthink end of year. Yep. Take a logical, procedure-based approach. Uh, deal with one client at a time. Um, that client who gets really angsty or demands their account straight away after 30 June, just take a breath and agree on when the work will get done. So it's a logical approach.
0: All right, well, let, let's get into end of financial year because it is obviously topical. Uh, for those listening in in the month of June, we're um, obviously getting into that pointy time of the, the year when all sorts of things collide together and in particular this year for the first time ever, we will be unfolding single-touch payroll phase two finalisation and the processes around that. And we might talk a little bit about that in a moment. But... Uh, for members in particular who are tuning in, um, you may have joined us recently. We had a fantastic couple of days um, unfolding end of year through our end of year online seminar through the ICB. And for those who did attend, um, I think uh, generally most get great benefit out of that. If for whatever reasons you're going, oh, I missed that, there is the the, the ability still to engage with us through our on-demand services. You can still sign up and and uh, get access to that on-demand uh, recordings, you might say, of, of that event. Uh, also, our manual, our highly valued manual, 200-odd pages of absolute um, the Bible on, on how to do end of year, you might say, is also available for purchase as well. So keep an eye out for that through our various channels and on our website. When we talk end of year... The things that we tackled through that process, obviously we were not going to go through it all or otherwise uh, you wouldn't have bothered uh, attending six hours of it. But um, ICB um, does always tackle the uh, the things all rela- always relating to end of year and in particular legislation updates. So uh, superannuation, payroll, rates and thresholds, tax rates, things affecting things like the family and domestic violence leave, motor vehicle thresholds, etc., all called out in our magnificent manual. Matthew, um, during the, uh, the sessions that we held, uh, we had members asking us various questions. So I wanted to um, just tap in on one or two of those in relation to legislation in particular, um, <coughs> just for... Uh, for record keeping sake, we are seeing an increase in the superannuation rate again this 1 July uh, to 11% from 10.5%. Is there any news coming out? There, There is a mapped out schedule for that to increase again in the following years. Is there any news coming to your ears that would suggest that that's not going to continue?
1: Um, it will definitely hit the 12% as scheduled, um, especially with this government in play. And it wouldn't surprise me in a year or two's time we're having a discussion about that going even further. Um, yeah. So, Rob, really good call out on the super. The first payments you make after 30 June they are at the new rate. So it doesn't matter whether, you know, it's a fortnight's pay and 10 days of that are within, well, let's say it's nine days of that are before 30 June and one day is in July and you're paying it on the 1st of July, 11% applies. The other one that surprised me a little bit, Rob, but I've had a number of conversations about it, about Super Guarantee is that $450 threshold has gone. Mm. So Mm -hmm. a lot of businesses with, be it um, we can talk about the under-18s specifically, but uh, typically those very part-timers who may have earned less than $450, previously didn't get super, they should have been getting super all this year. So uh, 30 June is a great time to review and make sure that you have removed that exemption of the $450 from your uh, payroll systems.
0: So one of the things that... um relates to that is if there is a recognition at the end of year that uh, perhaps through reconciliation processes that we were very strong to call out and have been so for a long time now at the ICB, there is revelation that there has been super missed across the year. One of the questions that was asked is um, during... The recent um, seminars that we ran was what? What do? Um, how do you deal with the, the business owner who won't acknowledge that there has been potentially late super paid? Um, do we, you know, that we have a process called the SGC statement? Uh, how do we tackle that? If you're a bookkeeper, in particular, dealing with a business owner who won't acknowledge that there's late super. Um, it, we can only provide that information and make an understanding or a revelation around the penalties in relation to that. And perhaps if you can just reiterate, what are the proposed penalties around the SGC?
1: So, Rob, the first thing in, as a bookkeeper, be it uh, an employee or be it a contract bookkeeper, if you're a do-it-yourself business, so you're the bookkeeper in your own business, you've got have your left hand talk to your right hand about this, (laughs) Um, but as a contractor or as an external, as an employee, you need to advise the business owner in writing. This super has been missed. You have an obligation to pay and then if it is beyond the 28 days, you've got a super guarantee charge form to lodge. Um, Put it in writing. As a contract bookkeeper or an employee, you seek direction from the business owner. Um, before you do that extra bit of work, you know, as a contractor, you need to be paid for that extra bit of work. As an employee, you're subject to their direction. So you raise it with them, you seek direction, and uh, if they refuse to pay the late super or the missed super, that that's a question where you've got to really reconcile to yourself whether you're comfortable uh, still working in that environment. Uh, step mm. one, you must notify them. Step two, evaluate whether you're comfortable with their reaction. Um, if they, yeah, and if the owner says, "Well, pay it, but don't do the SGC forms." So again, what you would do is pay it very quickly through your normal process to the funds. Keep your records that it effectively it's a late payment of super that was owed previously. But in terms of the SGC form, unless you're directed by the business owner to do it, you can't go and do it yourself and lodge it because you need their signature on the form before you're allowed to lodge it as well.
0: And I think that's a really good call. The the need to once you've acknowledged that late super, probably the first step is just to pay it. Then part of the SGC process is that you can show that or represent that payment as a late payment offset as as part of the the, the form, the process you go through. So, getting that super paid is the number one urgency. And then second is the conversation around the SGC and the charges that result from that. And uh, I like the way you've positioned that. Get it in writing, explain the process, and then ultimately, um, the business owner needs to make a responsible decision based around that. And Rob, look, whichever
1: status, if you're involved in payroll... And you 're involved in a business that 's not paying the super and has said don't pay the super. Um, I would seriously be evaluating your involvement yeah the, the way the discussion is going now about wage theft now in my words, what wage theft is is intentional, deliberate, repeated behavior. Mm-hmm. If you know you 've got the obligation and you make a decision not to meet that obligation in the future that's going to be deemed wage theft. And the penalties are quite severe. So um, fixing up errors, finding errors, fixing them up, uh, dealing with the SGC is the right answer, but repeated offences going forward, uh, I think you need to walk away from.
0: And one last thing on the super, and this is more commentary than question, is um, be aware there are some deadlines around paying super in the month of June to ensure you get the tax deductibility that the business owner is possibly seeking um, or probably seeking. So, make sure that you're aware of your, in in particular, the software that you use and the deadlines around the processes that you use within that software to ensure that the super gets through before the 30th of June. Um, I also want to mention, I do say this regularly in some other events that I'm involved in, um, if you do happen to pay the super after the 30th of June, you'll still get tax deductibility. It's it's the following year, that's all, um, as long as you still pay it within the guidelines of within the 28 days of the end of the quarter. So don't assume that if you don't pay it by the 30th, you won't get tax deductibility. It's just more about the timing of that tax deductibility. Um, one other question around that came up during our, uh, um, our end of financial year seminars last um, in the in the recent weeks was if an employee does not advise around a changing of things like addresses or contact details, so when it comes to things like super and STP reporting, there's a heavy lens on that right now, do we need to, or do bookkeepers need to take that responsibility on themselves or... Where, where does that lie? Where does that responsibility lie? If, uh, uh, say, an employee of a business owner just ups and moves and doesn't advise that, is it... Where, where does the responsibility lie?
1: The responsibility lies with the employee to notify an employer of a change of circumstance. Um, otherwise, we're in a never-ending cycle of checking, Rob, right? I'd have to be asking you every payday, have your circumstances changed? I mean, think of some of the larger businesses dealing with hundreds of thousands of employees. It's, it's not workable. Yeah. So, um, yep. as an employer, as a payroll provider, as an external bookkeeper, you deal with the information before you, you lodge STP reports that will be transmitting to the ATO constantly, all the employees' details. Um, if the employees shifted or changed or changed their status from full-time to part-time or you know whatever is the hex debt that they didn't tell you about, um, it's up to them to tell you.
0: We obviously, as I mentioned, also put a heavy focus on our end-of-year event around Single Touch Payroll Phase 2 and where it's at now. We've had in mostly uh, the best part of 12 months of that now playing out as far as a week-by-week event. We're coming into a new year again, and one of the things that... um, has been sort of mentioned and I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, has now come into uh, law, is around how the bookkeeper, how a bookkeeper engages with a business owner around lodgement on a week-by-week or fortnight-by-fortnight basis, pay event, we call it. Does there need to be some sort of engagement authority, Matthew, in regards to that and how does that work? So back to basic principles, Rob the
1: lodging of a single touch payroll report, the pushing of that button that sends it data to the ATO, it is an approved form. So, there has to be declarations made. Now, the two systems are you make that declaration or the business owner has to make that declaration to you as an agent that it's a true and correct set of payroll and set of single touch payroll. But reality has kicked in. So, for small business, you're allowed to get a 12-month declaration, a 12-month authorisation that says, um, dear agent, I'll tell you if the circumstances change, but you are authorised to lodge single-touch payroll for the next 12 months. Uh, That is permitted in law. In fact, it was re-announced in the budget as a simplification measure. But what the budget announcement did was put it into law, whereas previously it was a commissioner's uh, decision or allowance. So, yes, you need an authorisation to lodge those single-touch payroll, but get the 12-month one.
0: So, there there is a a little bit of angst around single-touch payroll phase two finalisation. We're coming into our first journey into that this year. My take on it, Matthew, is that if you've done the preparation correctly, you've got your mapping right within your software, uh, on the assumption that most listening in are using commercial accounting software, it shouldn't be too difficult. Any advice for anybody who runs into dramas at end of year when it comes to the finalisation process? Just calling out, by the way, the old group certificate approach that we once had. We just, I'd just come off a forum where we were even reflecting on the days where we had to go and buy stamps and put them on uh, in books uh, when it came to the end of the, the financial year. We've moved on from that, thankfully. <laughs> but um, the single-touch payroll phase two finalisation process, we had we had during our end of year series um, the uh, I'll call her the head of Single Touch Payroll Phase Two at the Australian Tax Office, Chantelle Wayman. Uh, I don't know, uh, I don't know her exact. Uh, you're smiling at me. I've clearly uh, not researched her exact title on that. You might want to re- uh, fix that one up for me in a moment. Um, But she was very clear to make sure that we understand the reasons why disaggregation has come into play with single-touch payroll phase two and the effect that it has on individuals or employees. Any advice for um, those who are going into this season of preparing those for the first time and uh, any issues that might arise perhaps?
1: Uh Yeah. Rob, so first off, Chantelle Wayman is the director at the ATO. She has several bosses above her in terms of the, the program, uh, but she is the knowledge owner at this point. She is absolutely the, a, an expert in the topic on behalf of the ATO. Look, end of year process, Rob, it's just, again, follow a logical process. Each of the software I've now seen have put out their end of financial year guides, their version of how to do it in their software. Um, Tap into that resource, work with that resource, um, and just just follow it. You can correct finalisations. So if you finalise, you got to finalise by the 14th of July. If you finalise and subsequently you find an error, um, most of the software, well, all of them, you, the process is to unfinalise that individual, fix it, back at 30 June. And re-finalise.
0: Yeah. Um, yep. Just
1: take a logical approach. Don't get stressed by it.
0: I think that was the revelation, the number one call out in the discussions we had during uh, the end of year summit. No, no, we're not calling it a summit. Somebody called it a summit online and I went, no, we never called it a summit. Uh, End of of year online event, if we want to call it that, um, was around the fact that if you do make mistakes with a single touch payroll to finalisation or just a single touch payroll finalisation, it's not the end. You can go back and unfinalise and refinalise. The softwares have got that covered. So, Again, we talk about angst going into an end of financial year. Yes, it's, a, it's always a, a busy period, but the processes are there if you do run into issues or problems to be able to work and, for want of another words, undo things that might occur and fix them up. Um, we've, we've got those processes well advanced in the softwares these days. Single-touch payroll phase two. Matthew, we want, do I want to talk this at... Um, ad nauseam, but uh, any other reflections on the year that's been with single-touch payroll phase two so far?
1: No, look, Rob, I I think it has been the year. I'm looking forward to a year where we're not implementing it. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So let's hope this year settles down in terms of payroll and the tax office.
0: And then finally, one of the, the, I I found, really um, important uh, sessions that we had during our end-of-year event was just talking about the challenges around conversations with between accountants, clients or small business owners and bookkeepers um, and all sorts of things that can happen following the end of the financial year, not, not necessarily during the end of financial year but following it. And we talked a lot about the process of tidying up business owners' books um, but in the form of getting a trial balance adjustment process to to see a balance sheet in particular come into alignment with uh, how it should be. Probably a greater emphasis on that more than ever these days as business owners are having to go and deal with banks and deal with other financiers to to be able to continue their, their, their business effectively. The question that came up, I love this question, is, is it okay? So this is from a bookkeeper's perspective and I would think even a business owner who's a bookkeeper would ask this question. Is it okay to challenge an accountant if I believe their year-end journal adjustments are possibly incorrect? Now, I like asking this question to you because you are an accountant or you have been an accountant or you... Still want to be accountant? Oh, I don't know where you are actually as an accountant. So why don't you tell us that bit first? <laughs> oh, I'm not going
1: there, uh, Rob. Look, the the end of year journal. Um, yes. Um, Look, in my ideal world, Rob, uh, my dream world, uh, the accountant is working inside our live file. They do the adjustments themselves, and it is all consistent with our natural business system. Alternatively, we'd like the end-of-year journals. If they don't give it, we do our matching exercise and we put one through. If they give you end-of-year journals that aren't making sense, do your best and put the difference to an over-to-you accountant um, (laughs) item on the balance sheet so that it actually calls out that you've done what you can do. Um, Again, logical approach, own the issues that you need to own and pass back the other ones. But as bookkeepers, talk to the business owner about, hey, there's an issue here, this is what I've done. Can you talk to the accountant about fixing it?
0: No, I I loved that conversation. It was really important and I think we we covered off on that really well. But talking of covering off, we could talk for ages, but we can't do because uh, people like to get on with... Their work, uh, we appreciate the fact that they do tune into our ICB news channel, and uh, here you and I, you know, sort of talk about lots of things, Matthew. But uh, the time has come to wrap this one up. I'll call it out one more time. Well, there's way, way more than what we've been able to cover today in the ICB newsletter, which you can find at www.icb.org.au. Um, if you're a member, tap into the member newsletter. If you're not, if you're just somebody listening in who goes, I want a piece of that action, go there anyway and you'll see our news items and be able to tap into a form of the newsletter that is for non-members. I want to call out also just quickly um, that we've got some really great stuff in the newsletter around um, from our friends at Employment Innovations around... Uh, workplace solutions regarding safety hazards in the workplace and also they tackle the question, does leave count towards ordinary hours when calculating overtime? So we won't, uh, we won't discuss that. We'll let you go and have a read on that one and uh, arrive at your own conclusions we also have lots of other information surrounding our other communication channels and our network meetings for those who are looking to, to join a network meeting, Matthew. I want to also, just last piece, plug our other podcast, which is Heart of the Bookkeeper. We have an excellent episode with the future of bookkeeping we put a lens this year on the professional bookkeeper in 2023 and beyond i'd encourage you to go and have a listen to heart of the bookkeeper episode 24 if you haven't already done so where you'll hear the future of bookkeeping out of the voice of a young lady called katie williams who is what we've termed the next gen bookkeeper in the next generation coming through and uh it's an excellent interview matthew if i do say so myself really enjoyed that one But it is the end of this episode of the ICB News Channel. Matthew Addison, thank you for joining us again. I always hate giving you the last word, but I have to. Uh, What's it going to be?
1: Thanks, Rob. Privileged to be here. Guys, take a really balanced, structured approach to end of year. Don't let it get on top of you. There's more important things than tax. Did I say that out loud, Rob? There is more important (laughs) things than tax and bookkeeping. Um, Get it right. Do it structured. Follow your process.
0: Thanks, Rob. Very, very wise words. Listen to them. Go and replay that if you need to. Thank you for joining us again today on the ICB News Channel. We look forward to you joining us again very soon.